The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Autism One, a conversation of hope, brought to you by Enzymedica with host Terry Aranga. All comments, views, and opinions expressed are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. In the next hour, Terry and her guests illuminate how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. Through education and conversation, there is hope. Here's your host, Terry Aranga. Hello, and welcome to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel and this program, Autism One, A Conversation of Hope, for Tuesday, April 21st. I'm Terry Arango with my guests from the Homeopathy Center of Houston, Cindy Griffin and Linda Lanham. Cindy Griffin began her private homeopathic practice in 1998 and founded Houston School of Homeopathy in 2001 as a means of teaching an all-encompassing complex multidisciplinary homeopathic approach, which is still unique to the Houston School and Center. In 2003, she and Linda Lanham joined to create Homeopathy Center of Houston as a general homeopathic practice with a focus on autism spectrum disorders. Cindy recovered her son from Asperger's syndrome. Linda Lanham began working with autistic, deaf, and blind children in 1972 at the Texas School for the Blind's Deaf-Blind Annex, then went on to a successful career as an award-winning teacher of visually and multiply challenged children. After her second son was diagnosed with profound learning disabilities, later attributed to Tourette syndrome, she homeschooled and found as many alternative answers to her son's issues as possible, finally recovering him with homeopathy and NACD. She began her private homeopathic practice in 2002 and in 2003 became co-owner of Homeopathy Center of Houston. Thank you for joining us, ladies. Thank you for having us. So here's my customary opening question of late. What is autism? Oh, my goodness gracious. Let's start with something hard here. (laughs) Well, I think it would be really interesting to have this response from your perspective, the homeopathic perspective. Lyndall, you want to go first or you want me to give it a shot? Terry, I see it as a toxic overload. But in, in homeopathic circles and in homeopathic history, most forms of disease, if I can use that term, dis, D-I-S hyphen E-A-S-E, is, is founded in a toxic overload. The body is stressed. It cannot handle the, the toxic poisons that are going in, and therefore the dis-ease results. And so autism is one of the ultimate um, toxic overload diseases, but it is primarily a toxic overload that is affecting almost every system in the body. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that the answer to that question seems like it was easy for you. Well, we have to look at causation because we come at everything from a causational standpoint. Rather than simply looking at a symptom and thinking, how do we get rid of a symptom, we look at what's causing this symptom and what is the body telling us by this symptom. 
And therefore, what do we need to change or do differently to not only relieve the symptom, but to stop its future occurrence? It seems like a logical way to go about it. You know, something that um, some of my colleagues and I are at odds with right now is that uh, autism and, and some other things as well are classified as a mental disorder. I tell people when it comes up in conversation that autism is first and foremost a gut disease and the brain is downstream and therefore we see what appears to be mental symptoms because the brain isn't getting fed right. If the gut isn't working, then then the brain isn't being fed. Excellent. What, what we're seeing are results of a lack of, just like Jackie McCandless's book said, children with starving brains. But those starving brains are coming because because the gut is not functioning. Excellent, excellent answer. So you both have children who had either a spectrum diagnosis or other disability. And, Lyndall, your bio says that you were working with autistic children in 1972. So the two of you have had lots of life and professional experience. Has something changed in the last 35 years? Is there really an epidemic? Yes, definitely. I believe so, absolutely. I keep saying that I live under an autism rock and I don't know what else is going on around me. But the statistics that are even coming out of the CDC, if they had had the kind of statistics for polio that they have now for autism, then there would have been, there should have been millions upon millions of research dollars being expended on it, except that I think probably it is fairly well accepted in the medical world that they can't find a single cause for autism and therefore they can't develop a vaccine or a drug against it because it is the the best that the medical world can come up with at the moment is to treat it as an emotional and behavioral um, disorder and in fact it's not even diagnosed under anything except the psychiatric you know, an MD is not even allowed to diagnose autism, and we don't diagnose anyway because we're alternative practitioners. We're not MDs or, or psychologists. But what Lyndall said applies totally. It's a gut disorder and an immune disorder, and then you have these emotional and behavioral symptoms as a result. These kids are in pain. And, is you know, I can walk into one of the concerts at my son's school and look at the kids in the choir or in the band, and I can almost see, I can pick out spectrum disorders amongst the kids anymore. You never saw that in my generation. Right, yeah, you were talking about not diagnosing and being under an autism rock, and I guess you said that because we're so immersed in this. I think we're in, in the midst of an autism hailstorm. Um, yes. Torrential rain, um, deluge, downpour. Um, but I can go to uh, a community fair or something, and I can, you know, pick out the children too. And no, you didn't have that 35 yeah. years ago or 20 years ago. Or no, it was, that? you know, a child with a tick disorder was highly unusual. A child with a, a learning disability, you know, in my class of 125 whopping kids, we probably had two or three kids in there that had some mild learning disabilities. That was still a pretty high number, but nothing compared to what we see of just purely autism now, mm-hmm. not to mention the the lesser involved you know uh, spectrum disorders right i think I think when I went to school, we had you know one Fonzie, you know one class smart Alec, 
Mm-hmm. Um, but not certainly not a great percentage of the children, you know, not being able to sit in their seats um, right. or having significant um, learning challenges. So when we talk about it being an epidemic, is this a genetic epidemic or are children regressing into autism due to something else? I know you mentioned toxic overload earlier, Lyndall. I think I think that there is a genetic susceptibility because the genes and the DNA are being damaged by all the toxins around us. Excellent point. Um, they certainly are being damaged by vaccines because the number of vaccines is greater in each generation. And so that DNA is damaged with the vaccines and with the toxins. So it sets up a genetic susceptibility. But, um, but we, we clear vaccines and we see the improvements with clearing the vaccines all day, every day, and you just cannot deny that the primary causation has to be vaccines. We clear the vaccines, the kids regress for typically a day or two maybe into old behaviors that the parents saw after the vaccines, and then we get improvements. And sometimes we have to clear all of the vaccines and go to higher potencies before we see significant improvements because each vaccine had such an overwhelming effect that you have to clear layer after layer after layer. But it is undeniable to clear these vaccines, watch these children get better, and and totally frustrating to then read that the courts have pronounced that vaccines don't cause autism. Yeah, like, like Cindy was saying, they're, they can't find a cause, but they're saying that they know what it's not. And I think it's another thing that, uh, that the two of you mentioned, it, it w- alluded to, it would be a really cruel irony for them to try to come up with a vaccine for autism um, when that's uh, wrecked so much havoc in the first place. Let's, let's um, go backtrack a little bit. Um, homeopathy has been around for a while. Um, what what um, is homeopathic medicine in general, and what makes it different from allopathic medicine? Probably the primary difference that people would see on the surface is philosophically they are two completely different approaches to remediation of, of illness. And with allopathic or conventional medicine, you look at a symptom as being the problem or the disease, and then you find some medication that will stop that symptom, make it go away, and then that is considered to be the cure of the disease. That's the allopathic approach is to work antipathically or against symptoms. Homeopathy, by definition, is from the Greek word homoios, meaning similar to pathos disease. And so there is a there is 200 years of science behind the homeopathy that is based upon documenting what any given substance given in a crude form or a, a natural form to a healthy person or a group of healthy people which over 200 years has now been you know thousands upon thousands upon thousands of healthy volunteers you give enough of any substance to a person, it will eventually bring on a unique set of toxic symptoms. And that, that's how I think of it as being toxic symptoms of that substance. In other words, a unique set of symptoms that become a picture of what that remedy or that 
substance brings on in a healthy person when they get too much of it. Hahnemann realized that with his medicines, there was a similarity between what a toxic dose of something would bring on in the disease that it was treating. For instance, mercury was being used by his counterparts in the medical world as a um, remediation for syphilis. Well, he began to work with more and more and more dilute, first smaller and smaller doses, and then he began to dilute them as he went on into his career. And that is really where homeopathy began, is he realized that the similarity of the symptoms of the toxicity would then, through this dilution process, turn the tables on the immune system and match the symptoms that he was looking at in a person, and he would choose the most uniquely similar remedy and give it in a highly, highly, highly diluted amount to the point that there was literally nothing left there, which is always what the the critics of homeopathy use, as well as there's nothing chemically there. Um, It's above Avogadro's uh, level of dilution at which there is no molecule of the crude substance left, then it doesn't work, except that there are millions upon millions of case histories uh, all over the world for the last 200 years that prove that it does indeed do something. And so what we do, what the classical homeopath does, and we are not classicists, we are sequential homeopaths, but classical homeopathy is the idea that you look at all of the person's symptoms and then you choose the remedy that most closely matches. I'm going, to let, I'm going to segue over to Lyndall and let her then discuss the difference between classical and sequential homeopathy because that is our big distinction. Okay, and we'll pick up with that after the break. Thank you to our sponsor, Enzymedica, and we'll be right back. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten. And Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com. Inside all of us lives a warrior. We win battles with our careers, our finances, our children, our pets. It's time that the warrior within wins the battles with our own being. Modern-day Renaissance man Ori Hoffmeckler dispels eating urban legends and fitness myths in Voice America Network's The Warrior Within, your guide to nutrition, energy, sex, and survival. Ori sets the record straight and will help you become leaner and healthier for a lifetime. The Warrior Within broadcasts 
live every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Tune in for your guide to nutrition, energy, sex, and survival. If you've tried everything on the market and can't seem to get the radiant results you want from your skincare routine, it's time you stop shopping and start listening. Skin Health Today will help you take charge and start making smart choices for a lifetime of radiant skin and positive self-image. Join host Celeste Hilling and her esteemed panel of experts every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time for Skin Health Today on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We're back with Cindy Griffin and Linda Landham. And before the break, um, Cindy said she was going to uh, uh, pass the baton to Lyndall to explain the difference between classical and sequential homeopathy. And I was curious, Lyndall, why there are so many different forms of homeopathy. What are they? What do they mean? And how do you know which one is better to use with a patient at any given time? Well, primarily what's practiced most widely in the U.S. is classical homeopathy based on George Voltokas, um teachings in the 1970s, the idea of classical homeopathy is that you look at the totality of symptoms, you, you ask minute details, and then you find the one remedy that most closely fits all of those symptoms. It's called the similimum, and you give that remedy and you wait and see if it fixes it. And there are excellent classical homeopaths, and it works very well when the client can tell you all of the details that you need to know. Um, but it, we find that with, with a person's history, we were talking about all the multiple um, toxins that we take in, layers and layers of toxins, layers and layers of life and traumatic histories. A single remedy in this day and age generally cannot fix everything that a client comes in complaining of. And in Hahnemann's days, they just didn't have the plethora of, of chemicals, the 80,000-plus chemicals that have been introduced in the last 50 years. They certainly didn't have vaccines other than, than um, Jenner's smallpox. They, didn't, they did use mercury as a, as, as a medicine in Hahnemann. That was one of the things he railed against because he said it, it isn't healing people. And so even Hahnemann began looking at using multiple remedies um, in his later writings. So the idea of sequential homeopathy is that a client brings us their timeline. That's their personal history. And uh, Herring, who was a famous American homeopath, said Herring's three laws of cure are that the body heals from the head down, from the inner organs out, and in reverse chronological order. The medical world accepts from the head down and from the inner organs out, but they ignore in reverse chronological order. And that's the key to sequential homeopathy. We, when, a, when an autistic child comes to us, the first thing we do is deal with pain because we believe that all these children are in some discomfort. It obviously varies in degree, but some discomfort. And so we look at where they are right now and try to settle down the primary issues. 
um, whether they're they're chronically constipated, whether they're headbanging, whatever the immediate issues are. And then we start working back sequentially through their personal history. We clear drugs, we clear vaccines, we clear car injuries, um, just any kind of trauma. If they've fallen, if they've had a, a head injury or stitches on their chin or, or whatever it is, we work back clearing all those different injuries and traumas to the body. And at the same time, you do emotional support so that you're clearing the emotional traumas. And I've always thought with autistic children, and this goes back to my deafblind experience, who can have more emotional issues than children who can't express your feelings? Because the way that we process through emotional issues is by talking about it and working through it. And, and our children can't do that. So we have to do a lot of emotional support. You can't get emotional healing without physical healing. You can't get physical healing without emotional healing. So they go hand in hand. And so we look at all those different different pieces of trauma and work layer by layer by layer to clear those, to release it, and for the body to heal it. Um, we use multiple forms of homeopathy. Gemotherapy is is a, um, made from plant-based herbals, but they are diluted in a 1 to 10 dilution, so they are still homeopathic. What's that they called? Were, they're called gemotherapy. Gemotherapy, okay. And they're very effective when children are on prescription drugs and, and the parents want to get them off the drugs. The, the gemos are a very effective bridge in that process. So we use those. We use um, oligotherapies. We use um, German biologicals. We, use, we, have, we have looked at every form of homeopathic remedy offered to try to pick and choose its strengths and, and what works best for what particular situations. And where does hemotoxicology fall? That is definitely part of the principles that we base our clearings on. Um, Cindy, I'll let you take it from there. Yes, homotoxicology is a part of what we do, and really, if you want to look at it theoretically, um, the idea of homotoxicology was from a German doctor, Dr. Rekovic, who ended up in the U.S. after his company was bought out in Germany, came over here and started another company, and his idea, he has a whole table of how the body progresses from able to deal with toxins through so toxic that it can't deal with it and the various levels of influence over the body systems that, that toxins have on it. So as you move through his chart, at first you're able to excrete, then the next step, if you're so toxic that you can no longer excrete, it goes through a, a, a process of about six levels. So there's an excretion phase, and then there is a deposition phase where the body simply, now it can't excrete it, so it's got to store it somewhere. Huh. And then the next phase is actually the degenerative phase, and there's, there's two sub-phases within each of those categories. And the most toxic phase and the most damaging is where you actually start having cell degradation and, and um, literally the, the cells begin to change. That's where you start seeing either uh, sloughing off of tissues or at its worst you start seeing overgrowth of, um, 
of tumors and that kind of thing and cancers. And so the idea of homotoxicology is you use homeopathic remedies to support the detoxification process and as you begin at the most toxic stage that the person is at, which is where they come to us, then you begin to unburden the system of these toxins and as it moves backwards, it becomes more and more able to excrete what is causing the problem, you become less and less toxic, now you can go backwards through that table of these three cycles. And um, it is one of the theories that even applies, it can be overlaid to the sequential homeopathy, except we're doing that sequentially in chronological order, in reverse order. With the homotoxicology principles, then the idea is that you simply start detoxing by supporting the systems and let the body heal itself. But we're doing specific remedies in, at higher potencies than typically are used with homotoxicology um, because we're targeting events with our, our sequential uh, packets each time as we address each layer. It's still the same principle. We're just coming at it from two different directions, and the two meld beautifully between the sequential homeopathy, bringing in the time factor, and the homotoxicology addressing the toxicology factor. Okay, so the kinds of body systems and processes that homeopathy supports, you've mentioned detoxification. I assume it supports the immune system. Are you healing the immune system so that it allows the body to clear things naturally as well? Or Absolutely, um, because... One of the things that, that Amy Yasko, Dr. Yasko, has talked about is various things binding to various things. Um, we're finding that strep tends to bind, and she, she has talked about this. This isn't something of ours, but it applies to what we do. Strep has a tendency to hold metals from leaving. Other metals will hold other metals from leaving. Um, metals, of course, tend to have yeast bound to them. And one of the things that we have found is um, that as we begin to pull these things out, we get new layers of things. Uh-huh. And so these layers, you know, we may think we've visited one thing and suddenly we lose sight of it and we see yeast pop up. We may be working on strep and suddenly we have yeast come up and the kids are peeing up a storm and it's all clear. We know we're getting more metals and more yeast. So all of the body's systems will work together. Um, we do detox supports. We have some proprietary combinations that we've put together that, that seem to be working almost across the board with all of our kids very well. And we do them on different levels depending on how well that child's system appears to be working, at least on the surface when we first start. And as they improve, we can go to a little bit lighter supports. But we literally, the first thing we want to do is clear out the filters of the body, the liver, the kidneys, the lymphatics. So that's the first thing. And once you clear those, already you've released a lot of toxins because those are the first depositories. Once you get those cleared, then, of course, they're going to start working better. And then we can actually come in with uh, more and more potent remedies and no-sodes and things like that to be able to target the causations. And as the body releases more and more and more, 
then all of those systems begin to work better and better. And, the, of course, a big focus, uh, just like with Defeat Autism Now, because we learned a lot from Defeat Autism Now about how we've put together our system, and the gut has to be a primary uh, recipient of inflammation reduction, um, removal of certainly the measles virus, as Dr. Wakefield, as controversial as it, as it is, we know that our kids' guts are affected by the measles because of the symptoms we see when we clear their MMRs using MMR nosodes when we get there on their history. So we're supporting every single body system. If we have a child who was born with a hole in their heart, which we've had, um, you know, so they've always had some chronic heart issues. Then we have certainly other remedies. We'd use some gemotherapies to support the heart. Uh, we may use some homotoxicology combinations. Most of our homotoxicology combos are things that we've put together ourselves um, just out of clinical experience that we've found this, that, or the other combination to be useful. And so we put together these things. We support the kidneys for some of the kids, a lot of the kids, have never been able to metabolize um, a lot of the supplements that they were given, the mineral supplements in particular. Okay, and let's pick up with this when we come back from break on the Voice Great. America Health and Wellness Channel. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten. And Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com. Tune in on Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time for Healing the Grieving Heart, the program that takes you on a journey through grief after the death of a child. Join Dr. Gloria Horsley, marriage and family therapist and bereaved parent, while she interviews and discusses with other bereaved parents and siblings how they have coped with the death of a child and gone on to create and realize new dreams. So tune in Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time for Healing the Grieving Heart with Dr. Gloria Horsley, right here on Voice America Health and Wellness. Holistic living is nutrition for not just your body, but your mind and your soul. Holistic nutrition goes far beyond the foods that we eat or the supplements that we take. Discover natural means to heal your body and regain your innate healing powers. That's Holistic Living with Tina Marie Jones on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel, live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. Tune in for your weekly dose of good holistic living. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. 
Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We're back with Linda Lanham and Cindy Griffin from the Homeopathy Center of Houston. And before the break, Cindy was um, mentioning metabolizing minerals and how at first the children may not have been able to do that. Cindy? Yes. Um, one of the things that we have found some of our kids start doing is we're clearing the filters. We sometimes have gallstones that are passed. And we've noticed with some of the kids who have done very heavy mineral-based uh, interventions, and actually, Linda, I'm going to let her talk about this a bit, is that often they pass some kidney stones, and we have found that uh, we actually had a mom, one of Lyndall's moms, had one of her kids' kidneys, several of her kids' kidney stones analyzed. I'm going to let her tell you about that. But we do get those filters cleaning, and we saw all kinds of debris like that. And again, it's pulling things out of that deposition phase, even those things that are you know, considered good for the body, if the body can't do the right things with them, then homeopathy starts fixing the signals and we get some definite responses. I'm going to let her discuss that. Linda? Yeah, I, I just had a child that, that um, we were seeing the symptoms of, of um, kidney stones and the mother was, was watching for them and was able to catch three they were seeing a, a nephrologist, and he sent all three of them off to labs, and they came back as three totally different uh, minerals. He said, he said in all his years he'd never seen the same person push out three kidney stones that, were, that consisted of totally different minerals. One of them was calcium, one of them was magnesium, and one of them was iron. And this child had been on all three supplements. And... Um, um, and we in were back past. in time a little bit to when he had taken one of them. And I'd have to pull the chart. It's been a while to remember the details. But um, what had happened was because his digestive tract was was not functioning properly, these minerals went on through and landed in the kidneys. And so sometimes over-supplementing the minerals doesn't appear to be over-supplementing them, but the body isn't able to even handle handle that amount. I mean, the best place for us to get our minerals is, is from eating veggies because, of course, the veggies, the vegetables, the plant have processed the minerals and made them into a form that's much more tolerable for our bodies to handle. But getting those veggies down children is a whole other issue. And, um, and his body just simply wasn't able to handle the supplementation that he was getting. You know, it seems to really have helped my son that um, now we're juicing um, and or blenderizing all of his green leafy vegetables. And uh, I know a woman who healed herself from chronic fatigue syndrome, too, and she would make herself these really interesting, you know, green taco slushies and such, uh, flavor them in a kind of neat way. And I think that was the only way she was able to get uh, intracellular magnesium. And that is one of the key things. Um, Mineralization is the key to alkalization. Alkalization is the key to health. But the key to all mineralization is magnesium metabolism, so that makes perfect sense. And we get the most magnesium in the easiest way uh, through high magnesium-containing plant vegetables. And also the, the natural whole organic foods, they have the enzymes in them instead of uh, purchasing it processed at the store. 
Absolutely. Even the sugars that are in fruits, um, I heard a doctor at, at a Dan conference a couple of years ago make the statement, in nature, even fruits, the sugar in fruits is not a problem because nature puts the enzymes in there that break the, the sugars down to the natural glucose that we need without overbalancing things. Okay. As so, long as they're eaten raw. If they're eaten raw, exactly. We're big into raw. Well, you've talked about how you individualize therapy. You've talked about the importance of the patient history and the consultation. So um, let's talk about another scenario. Um, you have a baby. The baby's having ear infections. Um, they're given prescription medications. They, they've had an insult. They're getting sick. They are getting now prescription medicines that add insult to injury. Um, then some other interventions are started. Are children who have received little to no other previous pharmaceutical or biomedical-based interventions easier to clear, uh, or do they have fewer associated setbacks while you're working with them? Absolutely, because it's twofold. Number one, we can move faster through the vaccine records and because we don't have the other layers uh, of drugs and interventions to clear, and the body seems to respond more readily. I had one child who um, had had a tremendous amount of ABA, and he was doing well, but he had constant stomach complaints. And um, we worked back through his vaccine record in six months because it was a short record, and he had no other interventions. His mother absolutely did not believe in any medical uh, interventions. And we had him 90% recovered in six months' time. Wow. Now, he had made a tremendous amount of progress socially and behaviorally with ABA, but but we just went in and fixed the gut and cleared those vaccines, and he just soared. Let's, let's talk about a couple of things for the naysayers out there. Um, just, just to reiterate, um, Cindy had mentioned that you address pain and you address um, clearing the filters of the body, liver, kidneys. Now, for the naysayers, what kind of, quote-unquote, objective things do you use um, to chart progress? Do you use uh, laboratory tests? Do you use uh, objective benchmarks like the ATEC or other, the CARS test, to see how um, your, your patients are doing? We, we require the ATEC with our intake forms because it does give us a baseline. Uh, for years, I used... Um, just a very small scale of 1 to 10 that I would ask a number of questions at an initial just to have some baseline information. Um, and, and we do not require a whole lot of testing simply because insurance doesn't cover what we request. If a child comes to us with a lot of testing, which the majority of our children do, we certainly work and, and learn from those tests. But we don't like to start with testing because we know the basics that we need to do, so there's no reason to run tests at first. When we get through the vaccine clears, when we get through the timeline, then if we're still seeing problems, then there are some tests that we might need run. But there's really no reason to run tests at first unless the parent wants a baseline because we know the things that we need to look at and to work through. So while we don't do a lot of testing, we have seen some very interesting results from children that come with testing to us. We had a child, uh, and we do work with a number of the Dan docs, so we share clients or, or their patients, and, and we get good feedback testing-wise from those as well. 
we had a child that came with very high um, titers. We've had many, many children that have come with high titers. And when the Dandock runs the titers after we've run, after we've cleared the vaccines, many of those titers are normalized. And so we, we, we have seen pretty significant results there with, with a lot of our children with titers. If a child comes without titers and we're still seeing problems after we've cleared the vaccine, titers are something that are beneficial for us to look and see what is still stressing the immune system. Um, we had a lot of our kids, of course, have porphyrins run. And many of those come back with high, you know, high metals. And a lot of them, the kids have, have tried DMPS and EDTA, and, and they just don't push out the metals. Once we clear the vaccines, they start dumping metals like mad. And, it, and it's because those viruses hold on to those metals. Wow, that's pretty important to know. Are there homeopathic alternatives to vaccines? There is something called homeopathic prophylaxis, yes. Um, a homeopath in Australia, Dr. Isaac Golden, wrote a wonderful book a number of years ago called Vaccination, a Risk of a Review of Risk and Alternatives. And in it, he, he suggests a schedule for homeopathic remedies in lieu of vaccines. Fifteen years after that, that time, and about three or four years ago, he published a uh, 15-year case study on the efficacy of homeopathic prophylaxis in place of vaccines and showed that it was equivalent to vaccines in preventing diseases. Now, we all know that vaccines don't truly prevent diseases. Chickenpox goes around. Whooping cough goes around. Uh, even measles and mumps break out. So, but, but he did show with his 15-year study that the homeopathics were every bit as effective. Okay. And I understand that the patients who come to you with autism, uh, many of them are real tough cookies who have been around the biomedical block. Oh, yes. We get, we get lots of those because they find us after they've tried everything else. Cindy, go ahead. Yeah, we, we get a lot of those. Um, everything from the ones that have done just, you know, chelation or just bits and pieces of the the DAN protocols or they've done that plus you know, the YASCO protocol, or they've done all of them together. They've done everything that's been out there. So we get a, a very wide range. And then we even do get the ones that they're kind of going, I, I don't even know what autism is. So we get we get the tough nuts. Hmm. Okay. So you're clearing things, like, and you made a really good point earlier about things holding on to other things. So just because you're using some EDTA, if you still haven't cleared your vaccines, it doesn't mean you're going to be able to get rid of those metals. Exactly. Okay. In, so, in fact, even some of our kids who have done the chelation, uh, I had a child that I didn't realize that in the middle of the homeopathy that uh, her Dan doc saw that her uh, her liver enzymes were doing much better and she was already putting out more mercury and aluminum than ever before and uh, ended up doing EDTA when I was not aware of it and we started seeing some symptoms of like a backup, you know, sinus symptoms and eye symptoms and behavioral symptoms. Finally, I asked the parents what was going on and they said, well, we started EDTA when they stopped the EDTA, we were able to get more metals back out of them. So it was like the EDTA was gobbing the works up. Ooh, okay. And we'll pick up with this when we come back. Thanks to our sponsor, Enzymedica. We'll be right back.
learn more. Live better. Voice America Health and Wellness. More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten. And Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com. If you have a loved one that is undergoing treatment for substance abuse or mental illness, you owe it to them and yourself to tune in to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. This compassionate and educational talk show will help you help those that you love by better understanding their condition and their personal recovery process. Tune in every Monday at 12 noon Pacific time to One Hour at a Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Recovery begins this hour. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We're back with Cindy and Lindell from the Homeopathy Center of Houston. And before the break, um, Cindy, you were talking about um, when things cleared, and what are parents seeing at home when something clears, physically, behaviorally, cognitively, as the items you recommend are working? Are there any setbacks? Do parents see rashes, fevers? All of the above, or All some of the, of the above. above. It's a very broad spectrum. A lot of it, again, that's part of our history taking, is what was your child's reaction to XYZ vaccine event? or set of vaccines, well-child visit, which is a bit of a misnomer, I think. Um, in, certainly in the case of autism, we see kids who had, um, you know, they spiked high fevers after their MMR, for instance, or an MMR varicella, or they had, um, they turned bright red after they got one of those vaccines. A lot of times that we see them go back to that. Uh, Lyndall mentioned earlier that sometimes we see them go back, they play with old toys or we see behaviors that the parents hadn't seen since that time or if they did it had been a very long time kinds of things. We had a 16-year-old that went back to watching uh, Sesame Street and um, he was doing college applications one day and then was watching Mr. Rogers and Sesame Street for about three days and then went back to college applications. So we see those. We do see basically the vaccines work by giving a uh, low-grade chronic form of the disease, especially to kids with autism. It is more chronic and less acute with them until we do the clearings. And so if you're doing an MMR, you may see a measles or rubella-like rash, 
if we had a vaccine that was strep contaminated, they may get some sore throats or go back to some ear infections if that was part of their history. Um, so we do see these things. We do see fevers. We, um, we're notorious for MMR bringing up the orange goo, either vomiting orange goo, I hope nobody's eating lunch right now, um, or the stools may turn a fairly unique shade of orange sometimes. Uh, so there are sets of symptoms that we have kids that complain of weakness in the legs and fatigue when we clear their polio vaccines often. So it's like the disease was there and the homeopathy brings it to the surface. It can last as short as a few minutes to a few hours. It may last as long as three or four days. Occasionally it will be a week when we get to some of the really high potencies that the kids didn't, you know, they hadn't been real responsive prior to that. It may last a little longer. It's however long the immune system needs to burn it out or bring it to a rash or do what is a normal disease process for whatever we're bringing to the surface. You know, there's naysayers who get angry at parents who don't vaccinate. And when I gave my son the MMR, I thought I was protecting him from measles. But you know what? Now he's got permanent measles. Mm-hmm, exactly. Oh my, I am angry that. about that. Absolutely. Almost 80% of our children at an MMR clear will have a lack of appetite or not eat at all for about 12 hours. And, and I know it's because of gut discomfort that comes back up at that time. Uh-huh. That's like the gut's ringing it out. Yeah. Yeah, he's yeah. got documented um, gastrointestinal pathology. You know, uh, he had endoscopies and biopsies. You know, that's that's an objective test. Um, Absolutely. A lot of times, too, Terry, if if a child is in the process of clearing something, and and they seem to regress, sometimes we have to repeat that clear. With MMR, we learn to always repeat it at least once, because because we give the body as much opportunity as it can to clear more and more. So um, frequently we'll have to do it twice because the response will be so great and uh, we want to give the body every opportunity. And you're not doing this in a shotgun uh, approach. You're, you're peeling back some layers for supporting the immune system, supporting the, the filters so that the immune system can handle clearing this? Absolutely. That, that's Absolutely. why for the first couple of, of consults we, we do... We address current issues and try to get those settled down, maybe not healed, but certainly settled down before we start back into the timeline. Okay, so you have had kids who've recovered. How did you know it was the homeopathy? Um, primarily, at first, because they were children that weren't doing anything but homeopathy. Uh-huh. And, and, and then a lot of times when, when kids come to us, the parents, stop doing other things, and they start seeing progress that they've simply never seen before. And, and you never know what scientifically what is doing what when you're doing multiple, um, multiple forms of, of uh, interventions. But um, a lot of times when the parents start seeing progress with the homeopathy, They'll run out of a supplement and not refill it, or they'll drop off from some for a while and say, well, I'm going to put this aside and I'll go back to it later if I need it. And and the parents, when we clear those vaccines and we've clearly seen behaviors that they hadn't seen in four or five or six years, they know it's the homeopathy because we can almost predict 
when they're going to see it. We may not be able to predict what they're going to see, but I always tell my mom, we're doing an MMR, look for a lack of appetite between day 11 and 12. Look for a rash on the cheeks on day 12. Invariably, 50% of our kids break out in a rash on their cheeks day 12 when we're doing an MMR. So it becomes, some of the things are become so predictable that you can't deny it's a homeopathy. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about seizures a little bit. Lots of parents are seeing this now. A lot of them. More and more, I think. we're, And I'm afraid we're going to see more and more of those. Um, Seizures are something that I'm doing a lot of research on it, um, and I'm actually going to be involved in the think tank at Autism One, so thank you, Terry, for that invitation. You're um, the, uh, there are a lot of studies in the medical world about what's causing them. We believe that parasites are one thing that may be a part of it. Certainly traumatic head injury you can never rule out uh, where seizures are present, but in the autism population, there is a much bigger increase than across the normal, you know, the rest of the world. And um, a lot of that is apparently tied to strep. It can be tied to glutamate. So whenever I have a child with seizures, one of the things I have to talk about with the parents, the three things, the three big things I'm talking about are going to be strep levels, uh, parasites and whether they have free glutamate in their diet somewhere. It can be any of the excitotoxins actually will throw off the glutamate levels. And there are a number of medical studies out there that have definitely shown an overlap of symptoms between the pandas symptoms and the glutamate symptoms. And as I did my research on OCD, it led me into some research on seizures. And it looks like there is a definite overlap between strep and glutamate levels being off. And um, Jill James talked about that for a long time. But I'm not sure if we've found what the tie is, except that I do believe there's a tie there between high strep levels and glutamate. All of those, parasites, glutamate, strep, have been implicated in um, in seizures. And we know from our work that our kids, a lot of them have real problems with aggression when they get too many excitotoxins. Um, they And those are typically kids with high strep levels. So there's... There are a lot of question marks. We've had had some answers come to the surface on both parasites, on strep, and we're working on some things to help rebalance the the neurotransmitters, including the glutamate levels, because glutamate is a neurotransmitter. Uh, For our listeners who don't know, and I hope I get this right, uh, Cindy was talking about pandas, and I think that refers to pediatric autoimmune neurological disorders associated with strep. Correct. Okay, before, before we run out of time, I want to make sure that you give your website address. It is www.homeopathyhouston.com. So H-O-M-E-O-P-A-T-H-Y and then the city name Houston.com. Okay. Um, are there any other things about parasites that we need to know? Watch your kids' behaviors at the moon cycles. If their behaviors are worse at the, if the moon cycles, at the full moon, or sometimes it's the new moon, um, probably they've got parasites, and Lyndall can give, rattle off a list of parasite behaviors. Oh, well, we have to close for today. Um, Cindy and 
Lyndall are presenting at Autism One, so you can catch them there or contact them through their website and find out more about parasite behaviors. But Cindy and Lyndall, I want to thank you for sharing this helpful uh, option with our listeners. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, it's fascinating and uh, certainly gives people uh, another approach to look into that uh, seems really helpful and has recovered kids. Cindy and Lyndall will, again, be presenting at the Autism One 2009 conference on Friday, May 22nd. Please visit www.autismone.org. They also have an article in the most recent issue of the Autism File magazine, www.autismfile.com. My guests next week, April 28th, are Lynette Louise and Deborah Portnoy talking about neurofeedback. For questions about this program, please email me at taranga at autismone.org. Thank you to our sponsor, Enzymedica, and thank you to our listeners for tuning in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Medica would like to thank you for listening to Autism One, a conversation of hope. To contact Terry or get more information, visit AutismOne.org. Tune in next Tuesday for another hour of education and conversation on Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.